God's sovereignty and our free will. It's a good little debate. We're still in the book of Acts. And we read in the last half of Acts 19 how Paul set up a Bible school called the School of Tyrannus and he teaches both Jews and Greeks the gospel there for two years. And God works powerfully through Paul so that people who even touched his clothing or took a handkerchief by faith they were healed. It was a point of faith for them. That was Paul's impartation of faith. Many evil spirits came out of people through Paul's ministry and many people who practised witchcraft repented and burned their books of magic which were reported to be worth 50,000 silver coins. It's a lot of magic up in smoke. The Holy Spirit comes down. When Paul saw that God's word was now sovereign and prevailing in Ephesus, he decided to move on to Macedonia. And then he said, from there I'm going to Jerusalem and then I'm off to Rome. I've got to get to Rome. For Paul... That's living the dream, getting to Rome. But before he left Ephesus, a man named Demetrius, who manufactured and traded statues of the Ephesian goddess Artemis, that is Diana, to the Romans, accused Paul's teachings of destroying the glory of the goddess Artemis, whom the whole world worshipped and that her statues would end up a pile of rubbish. He had a very commercial agenda there. But these accusations set the crowd off into a frenzy, and Paul and those with him were again in danger of being severely punished for this crime. But the mayor of Ephesus finally quietened the mob down and said, this conduct is unworthy of Artemis the goddess, and these men have done nothing to harm either our temple or our goddess. And if Demetrius and his artisans have a complaint, they can take it to court and have it dealt with. We're putting our city in serious danger here because Rome does not look kindly on rioters. With that, he sent everybody home. Reading on now in Acts chapter 20. After Paul had just farewelled the people of Ephesus, he travels to Greece. That's across the Aegean. And he preaches there for three months. He discovers that the Jews are plotting again to take his life. So he sails over to Troas in northern Turkey, back again, and preaches there for seven days. And on the final day, he went to preach at the communion service. And we're in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. He preached in an upstairs room until midnight. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on a windowsill, went fast asleep and fell three stories to his death below. 
Paul went down and took him up into his arms and turned around to the people and said, don't worry, he's all right. And he was brought back to life. They all went back upstairs, ate the Lord's Supper together, and then Paul preached another long sermon and it was dawn when he finally left them. There's a lesson there uh, for preachers. If you're going to preach long sermons, be ready to be able to raise the dead. <laughs> Moving on to verse 17. Paul then sailed to Miletus and he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, which was not far away, and he asked them to come down to the boat to meet him. When they arrived, he told them about the plots of the Jews against his life and that he had never shrunk back from telling them the full counsel of the word of God. Paul tells them that he's being drawn irresistibly by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what awaited him, except that the Holy Spirit had told him in city after city that jail and suffering lay ahead of him in Jerusalem. But he says that life is worth nothing unless he uses it for doing the work assigned to him by the Lord. So we get to verse 36 and Paul kneels and prays with these people. They'd come to visit from Ephesus and they wept aloud as they embraced him in farewell, sorrowing most of all because he said that he'd never see them again. We now come to Acts 21, verse 1. After parting from the Ephesian elders, Paul sailed straight to Kos, then across to the harbour of Tyre in Syria, right across to the Middle East now, where he went ashore, found the local believers and stayed with them for a week. He's on his way to Jerusalem. But these disciples spoke through the Holy Spirit to Paul and warned him not to go on to Jerusalem. Then Paul went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the original seven deacons, and he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. And during his stay of several days, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea and visited Paul. He took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it and said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem and turned over to the Romans. Hearing this, all the local believers and his travelling companions begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But Paul said, why all this weeping and trying to dishearten me? I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but also to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Now we saw earlier that Paul had felt drawn by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So it goes on to say, when it was clear that he wouldn't be dissuaded, they gave up and said, God's will be done. So shortly afterwards, Paul and his company packed their things and left for Jerusalem. When Paul arrived at Jerusalem, all the believers gave them a warm welcome. And on the second day, Paul met with James and the elders of the Jerusalem church. You remember back in Acts 15 where he had to go and meet them with the other apostles and sort out all the legalism and the tabernacle of David. 
and he recounted to them the many things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his work. They praised God, but then James said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed? And they all believe that they must continue to follow the Jewish traditions and customs. They've been told that you're against the laws of Moses, against our Jewish customs, and that you forbid the circumcision of their children. Now what can be done for they'll certainly hear that you've come? James didn't like this kind of trouble. It wasn't long before some Jews visiting from Turkey across the way saw him in the temple and roused a mob against him and they grabbed hold of him yelling, Men of Israel, help, help! This is the man who preaches against our people and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. Paul was dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him. And as they set about to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Paul declares his Roman citizenship. He had that card. He declares this to the Roman commander and in the following chapters, through all kinds of hazards, Paul is escorted under an impressive military guard of 200 soldiers where he ends up preaching the gospel to King Agrippa. What was going on here? So these encounters of Paul's with the prophets and then with James and the Jewish elders that he debated with before and then with the lynch mob that wanted to kill him present us with some very interesting options regarding whether Paul was in the will of God or not in going to Jerusalem. But also, don't go. God's sovereignty and our free will. The first option about what's going on here is were those prophets really speaking through the Holy Spirit? You have to ask yourself questions sometimes. I've just read the Bible. The next option is, was Paul overriding the Holy Spirit and determined in his own will to get the true message home to the Jewish Christians about the freedom of the gospel of grace? After all, it had to be preached. And what about James? Had James forgotten or been pressured to water down the prophetic word about the tabernacle of David back in Acts chapter 15, about the freedom from Jewish laws. What's going on? And then there's a final option. Was there something bigger going on that only God knew about and had purposed that nobody else knew about? Including all the prophets and James and Paul's companions and even Paul himself. We'd seen in earlier accounts that when Paul felt he had a good idea about what he should act on something or whether he should or not act on something or where he should go and preach, he sometimes humbly found out that he was being blocked and the Holy Spirit would prevent him. And he realised that God was blocking him and redirecting him 
And later on, he'd get a clear word from God, this is what that was about. Like he, he gets a dream. Don't be worried. You won't be killed here. I've got many people in this place. But he gets Paul to have to wait, to keep getting glimpses, moving, getting blocked, and then saying, over to you, Lord. Paul was given by God a restraint to wait for something greater to come to pass that Paul would never have imagined, but only in God's good time. I think he got to know that grace. Oops, it's over to you, Lord. I'm listening. So those prophets, I believe, prophesied correctly. They prophesied by the Holy Spirit that Paul would be beaten up and locked up in chains, locked up in chains in Jerusalem. Assuming in their love and concern for Paul that God was telling him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul could still accept that and say, so what? Paul knew that part of his job description was to go through the sufferings of being resisted and rejected and opposed. There was something bigger going on that only God knew about and had purposed for Paul about his desire to get to Rome, because he always wanted that, but all of this is something that Paul could not have possibly foreseen. Sometimes better that we don't know the future because God always gets the glory in these things. So it's this last option, I believe, that teaches us that only God knows the end from the beginning in everything concerning his will and purpose for us. Even though we're fully committed to do his will, and even though he lets us hear from him and gives us a glimpse of certain things that will come to pass along the way, we act on that the best way we can. We might somehow say, well, I'm going to do the scenic route here and go around God said, well, you could have just gone straight up the highway, but I'm getting you back on track anyway. God always knows that his will will come to pass but only in his own remarkable way. And we're privileged in all our stumbling and bumbling and suffering and even grumbling to be included in the outworking on earth of what God has planned to do from heaven. Don't think you're always going to get it right. Even getting a word from the Lord and saying, this must mean this. And God says, you can go around that way if you like, I'll meet you on the highway up, just up along the way a bit. God's fine with that. Now, people may debate the paradox of God's sovereignty and man's free will. However, I believe we see here that God sovereignly takes us in his way, but he graciously accompanies us and leads us on our way. We do get the words from the Lord, and he's there with us. This is how God is able to fold together and reveal to us the intricate parts of the unknowable mystery of his sovereignty 
and our free will. That gives me great peace to know that. The Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that say yes to his invitation of living according to his purpose. So if you're there in your heart, Lord, it's your will be done. He says, let's go. God meets us there. And he sorts out the loose ends of our bumbling in such a way that both God and we can be very happy in times that don't seem very happy. I believe you're happy with this, God, even though I went around the, the scenic way. We're here together again. God smiles. says, I'm happy with that too. You're learning to trust and you're learning to know, my child, that despite your limitations, I have none. That's why just turning to him and looking in his direction is often enough to receive a mountain of faith if you just hang in there, knowing his sovereignty. It can't be any other way. Or it would be a toss-up. Was I right? Was the prophecy right? Were you right? Did you get it wrong, God? Did God says, I've got it all worked out. I'm graciously coming with you on your way, but I'm taking you on my way. He is so far above and beyond us in his workings with us that our acceptance of his unlimited sovereignty and our severely limited capacity to discern the future becomes the peace within us that surpasses all understanding. It's no longer a paradox, but a new kind of certainty. Amen.